A great deal has been written of Atlantis and a lost civilization over the years. Might there be evidence to be found of Plato's account of this island being in the Atlantic Ocean in the similarities of the temples on either side of the island from which the inhabitants fled? Certainly the Maya described in the Purple Vu how these people came from the east. Might the arrival of the individuals in Egypt mentioned earlier have been from the west? Surely it cannot be coincidence that the Pyramid of the Sun at Teotihuacan in Mexico and the Great Pyramid of Giza in Egypt possess the same base measurements, nor mere chance that the same 43.5 degree angle was adopted by two pyramids, one at Teotihuacan and one at Giza. This angle is an adaptation of pi, as in the theorem attributed to Pythagoras, but some 2,000 years before his birth. If such a civilization did exist and was destroyed by a deluge with its survivors fleeing to foreign shores as described by many ancient cultures, then let us take an evolutionist standpoint for a moment and consider the overlapping of the different stages of the development of mankind. For instance, that Homo sapiens coexisted with Neanderthal people. Eric Trinkhouse of Washington University announced that a skeleton of a child who died some 24,000 years ago, found in Portugal in 1999, was a hybrid and proof that modern humans and Neanderthals interbred. Might we, Homo sapiens, then not have overlapped with the Atlanteans had they existed? There are certainly descriptions of this in Greek mythology as found in Hesiod's Theogony. Hesiod lived in the 8th century BCE, and the Theogony is the earlier of his two surviving poems, and contains a systematic genealogy of the gods from the beginning of the world. It speaks of mortals interacting with the gods, and bearing children resembling the gods. Another account is given in mythology by C. Scott Littleton, which refers to the giant invaders of ancient times in Peru. It states, the peoples of coastal Peru inherited legends of ancient invaders. These were giants where the heads of ordinary men would come up to their knees and their eyes were the size of plates. The giants were loathed because they forced the native and human population to submit to them sexually. There is similar reference to this in the Bible in Genesis 6.1 when it states that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them wives of all which they chose. It goes on to say, When the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them. We also find within the book of Enoch from the Dead Sea Scrolls, it states, And when the angels, the sons of heaven, beheld them, they became enamored of them, and saying to each other, Come, let us select for ourselves wives from the progeny of men, and let us beget children. We also find in the Zohar, the book that lies at the heart of Kabbalah's study, and which is discussed in greater detail in chapter 5, we find a similar account when it states, When Yuza and Azael fell from the abode of their sanctity above, they saw the daughters of mankind, and sinned with them, and begat children. Returning to Plato's Timaeus, in the context of this overlap, we find the Egyptian high priest speaking to Solon, when he says, you, Athenians, remember only one deluge. You and your fellow citizens are descended from the few survivors that remained. But you know nothing about it because so many succeeding generations left no record in writing.
Indeed, within the Egyptian Book of the Dead, it mentions that the priests of Ra claimed to have the veritable blood of Ra, and they asserted that their high priests were the offspring of Ra by human mothers. The belief that Ra came down from heaven and was united by mortal woman. As I stated in the previous chapter, from the same book, collectively they were known as the Kemenu, or the Eight, and they were considered as primeval fathers and mothers. A further source also mentioned in the previous chapter was Bishop Las Casas in his commentary on the Mayan Popol Vuh. He writes, The Maya believed that certain persons who escaped the flood populated their lands and they were called the Great Father and the Great Mother. Should this have been the case that modern humans interbred with these refugees, the gods as described often by ancient cultures, these displaced foreigners who arrived on their shores, then perhaps their contribution to ourselves as a species as we exist today is consciousness, a most human characteristic which cannot be derived by natural selection and indeed cannot be devolved. It seems to me that consciousness, much like altruism, belies the fundamentals of Darwin's theory of evolution. Charles Hapgood and his ancient maps also give further evidence. In the last chapter on the maps of the ancient sea kings, Hapgood comments, When I began this work, I was aware of no definite evidence of an advanced ancient civilization, though I was aware that others believed it had existed. Now I have found in the maps evidence that I accept as decisive in answering this question in the affirmative. Hapgood goes on to mention that several myths were brought from legend into reality, such as Babylon of Mesopotamian mythology in 1811 by Claudius Risch. Champollion, solving the problem of Egyptian hieroglyphics, returned Egypt to the forefront of historical study. And Troy, discovered by Schliemann, which was previously thought not to have existed, gave substance to the myths of Crete. He goes on to ask, but is this all? Is the process at an end? Are there no more lost civilizations waiting to be discovered? This would be contrary to history itself if this were the case. He maintains that the ancient maps appear to suggest the existence in remote times of a true civilization of a comparatively advanced sort some 20,000 or more years ago, where the Paleolithic peoples were living in Europe and that we have inherited a part of what they possessed passed down through generations. He further suggests that the idea of a simple linear development of society from the Paleolithic through the successive stages of the Neolithic, Bronze and Iron Ages must be given up. Today we find primitive cultures coexisting with advanced modern society on all continents such as the Bushmen of Australia and South Africa and truly primitive peoples in South America and New Guinea. It is not only the inference of the maps that denotes an advanced knowledge and civilization, but there is also the Kirscher map of 1665. The Kirscher map of Atlantis places Atlantis between Africa and North America. The map was taken from Egypt by the Romans, probably in 30 BCE, and on this map is inscribed in Latin, the site of Atlantis, not beneath the sea, according to the beliefs of the Egyptians and the description of Plato. The map shows Africa and America on the wrong side of the island of Atlantis. This is because to the Egyptians, north is south, 
That is, Lower Egypt is Northern Egypt and Upper Egypt is in the South. This therefore lends to the veracity of the map. Lewis Spence, in his The History of Atlantis, points out that absence of documentary proof is not an argument for not accepting Plato's original description of Atlantis. He states, The bare idea of Atlantis as described by Plato has been met with derision by generations of archaeologists, simply because no direct documentary evidence relating to its existence survived. But can one reasonably expect direct documentary evidence of a civilization which totally disappeared more than 11,000 years ago? It is manifest that another kind of proof than documentary must be drawn upon to justify the existence of such a culture. My personal view is that there is compelling inference based on cultural diffusion, mythology of antiquity and geological anomalies that points certainly to a great flood or deluge and also the existence of an antediluvian civilization.